to Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Hello, Victory family. I'd like to welcome you. And uh, once again, it's a great Sunday to worship the Lord together uh, online, wherever you are, watching from the comfort of your own home. Uh, and also for those of you who are joining us here uh, in this auditorium, we're just a few people here. And uh, we do hope that you're all doing well. We're praying for your own safety as well. Once again, we want to acknowledge those of us, uh, those of you guys who are joining us in Zoom. And uh, thank you so much for taking this time to join us. Some of our leaders are on Zoom. Some of our staff are on Zoom. But before we get to the preaching of the word, I, do, I just want to uh, personally invite uh, all of you for a special event this November. You know, Christmas is being celebrated all over the country now. Every family loves to celebrate Christmas Family traditions are the things that we do together that makes Christmas such a wonderful time to celebrate and this creates shared memories. And so these are the things that we can all look forward to as a family. So no matter how difficult 2020 is, tuloy pa rin ang Pasko. Okay? And so no, on November uh, 6, 2020, uh, from 7 to 8 p.m., we'd like to invite you all to join us uh, for our Cherish Tradition Seminar or this event this will be a collaboration with our Victory Congregations from Alabang, Green Hills, and also the Fort. And we'll be holding this as a community. So we have fun activities await, uh, awaiting you. And most of you will learn, uh, for most of all, we are going to learn from uh, speakers uh, who will share Christmas, you know, how this Christmas time can be more memorable and more meaningful for all of us. And I know that during these trying times, how can we celebrate Christ in this crisis? And so, uh, we'd like to uh, invite you, uh, save the date, mark your calendars, November 6, 2020, 7 to 8 p.m. See you there, okay? All right. So we are continuing our Roman series and the gospel explained, and we are back on Romans chapter 12. Last week, we talked about Romans chapter 12. Remember that uh, preaching when we said to present our bodies as living sacrifice, and so we also talked about uh, you know, not conforming to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and how we can actually serve God. And so today we're continuing uh, still in this same chapter, but a different slant. You know, the world is always looking for love. And I believe that not only the single people are looking for love, but everyone is looking for love, okay? You know, some of the top movies or series that we see on Netflix uh, whether it's, um, you know, K-drama or local or even some uh, uh, American films, many of them are about love or rom-com or romantic comedy. Comedy, You know, love is an overused word in our culture. How many of you would agree with me on that? You know, all the greatest commandments of the Bible can be summed up into two. Someone once asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is not from Deuteronomy, but this is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So in other words, our love for God is best seen and demonstrated by the way we love others. And we understand this, but the difficulty is trying to determine what love is. You know, we use love in so many different uh, ways. I would say I love my wife. I love my daughters. I love this church. I love to travel. I love good coffee. I love 
pizza. I love chocolate chip cookies. And so on and so forth. You can fill in the blanks. Now, when, when I say I love my wife, I mean I want to spend time with her. You know, and I'm committed to her and I'm faithful to her and I want to serve her. That was what, that's what it means for me to love my wife. But when I say I love cookies, I don't care about the time spent with cookies. I just want to devour them. I just want to eat them right away. And when I'm done eating them, I can move on and do what's next in my agenda. And so when a person says they love you, what do they mean by that? Do they want what's best for you? Or do they want something from you? Is it a selfless kind of love? Or is it like a cookie kind of love? Okay. Um, now, if you Google the, the meaning of the word love, which I did, and, uh, you know, it's very easy. You know, just type it there, love, and, you know, the meaning will come out. And the definition of love, according to Google and some dictionaries online, is an intense feeling of deep affection, a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person, or a feeling of warm personal attachment towards another. So in other words, the dictionary classifies love as a noun. It's a feeling, something that you actually feel for another person. But my question for us today, is love just a noun? Is it just confined to feelings? Or should we also consider love as a verb? Now, let's look at some of the, you know, exhortation or command from the Apostle Paul from our text this, uh, this day. And I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 9 to 21. I know that there's about 13 verses, but uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn from this particular passage. So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9 until verse 21 from the ESV Version. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in, uh, in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Okay? Uh, never be wise in your own eyes. In verse 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. And some of you are actually saying amen to that, okay? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray right now. Lord, help us not to just love in words 
but to love indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the first time that the word love appeared in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. And the first mention of love comes from the Hebrew word ahava. Okay, everybody say ahava. Okay, ahava. And so, what this means is actually it's connected with action and obedience. And the root word of that particular Hebrew word, ahava, is ahav. Okay? Not I have, but ahav. Two hands. And it means to give. The context of love in Genesis is the idea of giving. Not grasping, not taking, not being selfless. In fact, it is first used in Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, when uh, Isaac asked uh, his wife, this is how you can show your love to me. And when God asked Isaac to sacrifice his own son in Genesis chapter 22, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. This is Abraham uh, being tested by God. And here we see that the biblical definition of love is more than it's more about giving than about getting something you know love is a noun yes it is but i want to propose to us today that love is also a verb it is an action word in fact uh john wrote this in one of his letters first john chapter 3 verse 18 it says dear children let us not love with words or tongue but love with actions in truth you know, as we began the 12th chapter of Romans last week, Paul said, in the light of all that God has done for us, in view of God's mercy, let us present our bodies or offer our bodies as living sacrifice. And do not be conformed, as I said earlier, to the patterns or to the value system of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in light of all the things that God has done for us, it is only reasonable that we surrender our life to God by serving Him and by loving others as well. You know, in Romans chapter 12, we read about 13 verses, the one we've read earlier, 13 verses that we've read, and in these 13 verses, we see about 30 commands, 3-0. It is all packed there. That's why, you know, these are 30 exhortations of the Apostle Paul about love. That's why Paul, starting in this particular chapter 12, he became very practical in his teaching, he talked about doctrine in the first 11 chapters, but now he's very practical in this. You know, first, let's look at the quality of love that we are to give. In verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Sa Tagalog yata, genuine, okay? Let love be genuine, okay? You know, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is love. You know, in the... Holman Christian Standard Bible, or HCSB, not HSBC, okay? In the HCSB translation, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. I mean, how can we say that love is genuine if it is not a hypocrite kind of love? If it is sincere, if it is uh, authentic? When you talk about love, love ought to be real. It ought to be authentic. And you know, when you talk about Hypocrisy, you know, anupokritos means genuine, sincere. And this is the opposite of hypocritos, which means in Greek, believe it or not, it's called an actor. 
Okay? Uh, now, if you're an actor or an actress, uh, I'm not saying that you are a hypocrite, okay? But in the, in the Greek, uh, you know, in the Greek theater, what they, you know, somebody who acts is, uh, you know, because of the limited stage that they have, they don't have props. So one who hides behind a mask or expresses feelings that come from a script instead of from the heart. And that's what it means that when you talk about uh, hypocritos, that actors in those days have limited props and have limited way of expressing themselves. Of course, that's before Hollywood. But the Bible says, let love be without hypocrisy. You know, it is when someone puts on a face that seems to be loving, and then when you turn around, they stab you in the back. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever experienced that? Okay. You know, or they gossip about you. They say they love you, but yet they gossip about you. Or they put something on the, you know, on the social media about you. That is not true. You know, they say negative things about you. And then when you talk to them, they would say, I love you, bro. I love you, sis. I love you with the love of the Lord. I mean, what does that mean? What kind of love is that? That kind of love is not genuine. It's hypocritical kind of love. You know, and how many of us actually are like that? You know, we say that somebody probably have done that to us, but how many actually have we ourselves been doing that to others as well? When we say one thing, we mean another thing. And I think many of us, you know, we have been in that one way or the other. We've probably spoken negatively about a brother or a sister. Maybe with good intentions. Maybe in the guise of a small group. In the guise of, let's pray for this brother. Or let's pray for this sister. You know, and then we spill the beans. And we just attack the character of that person. You know, if you can relate with that, just, you know, raise your eyebrow if you have done that. You know, I see an eyebrow there, you know, an eyebrow there, yes. An eyebrow in the back, yes. You know, we've all been guilty of this. You know, as I preached before you today, I've, I've done this. And so the Bible is saying, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us, not encouraging us, commanding us to love without hypocrisy. You know, we're familiar with this. What is love in the Greek language? Love in the Greek language is called agape, or agape, however you pronounce it. We're familiar with this. In the English language, there's only one term for love, L-O-V-E, love. But in the Greek, there are four ways of describing love. Eros, which is a physical kind of love, an erotic kind of love, not found in the you know, Greek New Testament. A phileo kind of love is called a brotherly love. This is where we get the word, maybe Philadelphia, philanthropist, Philippines, uh, because we are people who love one another. I want to believe that. Okay, Storge is another kind of love, which is actually a love for family. Parents to children, children to siblings, you know, so on and so forth. And agape kind of love. It's the God kind of love. And you know, this is the first time that Paul is using this term agape in this particular part of the scripture on how we treat one another. So far, if you flip the pages of the book of Romans, he would refer to agape love in the way God would treat the people 
you know, in the way they had treated him, that he would love us no matter what, that while we were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. This is the God kind of love, committed, devoted, unconditional, unfailing, giving. And now Paul is saying that this kind of love is now the love that we ought to give to one another. This is like the gold standard of love in the Bible, so to speak. You know, much of the love that's found in the world today is a self-serving kind of love. Even romantic love. Sometimes it's oriented to fulfilling one's personal needs rather than giving to the other's personal needs. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. He is raising the bar of how to love others. He's not just saying, love one another as you love yourself. What he's saying is, love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? How can we put love into action? You know, we will look at three different areas very quickly. Number one is, we want to love God fervently. Love God fervently. There's the starting point of agape love. You know, we cannot give love until we have received love from God. You can only give what you have. And we're commanded to love God above all. And how is this demonstrated? In uh, the second part of that verse, it says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You know, to love God fervently means that we love what God loves, and we abhor or hate strongly what God hates. You know, one of the greatest weaknesses of the church today is tolerance for evil. You know, there seems to be no strong hatred or abhorrence for sin. And I do not mean hating sinners, okay? What, you know, we, we are all sinners. You know, God loved us, but yet God hates the sin that, you know, uh, propelled us to destruction. And, you know, he pursued us. And if you recall in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the wrath of God is being revealed from all heaven against all ungodliness of men. This is becoming, uh, the church is actually becoming desensitized to the evil in society. I remember one particular story of an Old Testament priest by the name of Phinehas, who was so zealous for the name of God who did not tolerate immorality in the Israelite camp. In fact, it was a bit disturbing, the, you know, the, the way it was portrayed in the Bible. And it says that he actually drew a spear because he was so grieved with the action of this particular Israelite. And he drew a spear and it actually went through the man and the woman in their tent. You know, many times when you read the Bible, it's actually very, it's PG-13 maybe if you can qualify that. But yet, what's amazing is how God responded to the action of Phinehas. The Bible says, the verse after that in Numbers chapter 25, verse 11, that God was pleased with the zeal of Phinehas, that he made a covenant of peace with him. Now, I'm not trying to say that we kill every immoral person in the, in the planet, okay? Lest we are also uh, in danger of that. But we need to reach out to them. We need to minister to them. But yet, we can never tolerate sin. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
Paul rebukes the church in Corinth for its tolerance for immorality. He rebuked the church in Galatia for its tolerance of legalism. And so it's not only about moral, but it's also about going on the other side. Now, I'm not saying that we become a moral police trying to correct everyone, okay? No smoking, no drinking, no earrings for men, no tattoos, no partying, no breathing, okay? I mean, that's weird, okay? We don't, we don't really try to stop everybody. What, it, what we mean is, is heart, our heart broken for the things that God's broken about? Do we celebrate the things that God is also joyful about? Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In the NIV, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Always keep the fire burning for the things of God. You know, always be passionate. Never be lukewarm. Okay, tell the person beside you, don't be lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm because I know that God actually spews, you know, him out from his mouth, those who are lukewarm, okay? Now, everybody is passionate about something. You're either passionate about basketball, you know, congratulations to the Laker fans. Uh, tennis to the Nadal fans, congratulations, okay? You're probably passionate about food, passionate about your hobbies, passionate about bike, passionate about things, okay? But yet, we ought to be passionate with this word. If there's one thing that we need to be zealous about, is it the, it's the word of God. The word of God. Every single day, we got to learn how to be full of zeal, to try to meditate and be passionate in observing and in obeying the word of God. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? By being brainwashed by this word every single day. Verse 12, it says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Everybody say, be patient. Be patient. That's my prayer every day. Lord, I want to be patient now. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Loving God, you know, you know, fervently means to hope, to wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And we pray as we actually await that fulfillment of that hope. Don't ever give up. Have faith in God. Second thought or second point is that we ought to love believers like family. Love God fervently is the first point. Love believers like family. In verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We honor one another and we put others ahead, irrespective of their socioeconomic status, irrespective uh, you know, of where they came from or where they live or what school they graduated from. The way we treat one another is the key to reach, reaching the unsaved world. Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our prayer is that we will be able to cultivate a culture of honor in our church. And the word here used occurs nowhere in the New Testament, only here. It properly denotes tender affection, such as that which exists between parents and children. And can you imagine if that's like the regular practice of people in church, 
that they are family, that they respect one another, that they honor one another, that they are patient with one another. They, they actually, you know, you know what honor means? Honor means putting one ahead of yourself. You know, I was driving and trying to park on my way here to the mall, and there was a car ahead of me. And I was reminded of this verse. I could have gotten that particular parking slot, but I decided I will honor. And I'm not sure if that person is from church. You know, tenderness, kindness characterizes the most endearing natural relationships that we have, the family. We ought to practice kindness and being tender to one another. Honoring means valuing them. You know, practice playing second fiddle. That's fine. As long as you can actually serve them. Be secure. You know, with each other. We have all been gifted differently. Verse 13 talks about contributing to the needs of the saints. Seeking to show hospitality. We meet people's material and uh, physical needs, external needs. This talks about generosity. You know, giving of your time and your resource. And I want to thank some of our leaders who's done that. Some of them have their own initiative in just going out of their way to feed those who are in need of helping those who have not had jobs, like, you know, giving rice to those who are the jeepney drivers or, uh, you know, they've provided uh, PPEs to our, you know, to our uh, frontliners and so on and so forth. And they've also extended uh, generosity among the people in the church. You know, this is where we see authentic community happen in the church. And this sometimes can become messy because you actually get in touch with each other. You know, attending a service is easy. When you come to the church, for example, when you come here and attend a, you know, maybe a Zoom or maybe watch on Facebook or uh, attend physical service here in the auditorium, that's easy. But when you go out of this place, and when you start engaging them on a daily basis and asking them, how are you? Can I pray for you? And someone opens his life to you, that becomes messy. And that entails your time. It entails your resource. It entails more care. And sometimes the counseling session can go on and on and on. It's more than just greeting a person on Sunday. How are you, brother? I'm fine. Praise the Lord. It's actually being authentic. It's being transparent and being open. You know, when you stop being shallow and start going deep in your relationship with people, this is where it all begins. In verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, this is where we meet people's spiritual and emotional needs. And what I call, this, you know, this is called empathy. You know, this is, somehow demonstrating a Christian kind of love towards one another. You know, in this time of the pandemic, when people get sick or, you know, we've had cases also of people losing their loved ones, it's very sad. It breaks our heart. You know, hearing the stories of different families losing, whether their mom, their dad, maybe, you know, um, an uncle. Uh, and somehow as a church, we begin to reach out to those people. We cry and we weep with them. You know, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Not Jesus swept, okay? But Jesus wept, weeping. 
It is simple yet it is so profound because of his love and concern for Mary and Martha because of the death of their brother Lazarus. You know, we must be ready to reach out to weep with those who weep. And let me just submit to you today, it is probably easier to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice. I don't think it comes naturally. For example, if you've been praying for a job promotion and uh, your office mate was new in the department, suddenly after just, you know, a few months, God promoted and he approached you one day, hey bro, rejoice with me. I got promoted. And guess what? They tripled my salary. And that's exactly the position that you've been praying for for five years. The Bible says rejoice. Praise the Lord. I mean, how can you genuinely rejoice with somebody like that? It's hard. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, it doesn't come naturally, but us brothers, you know, we feel the pain of those who are in pain. We rejoice for those who who are also celebrating something. You know, when someone, for example, if you're a single person, if someone gets engaged to a person that you have been praying for, wow. Am I stepping on some toes here? Do I need to change the topic already or what? Will you celebrate and rejoice with that new couple? Or will you pray, Lord, move the mountains. Hindi matuloy ang kasal. Something like that. Verse 16 talks about live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. My third and final point as we end this sermon is, Love your enemies. Now, this is the most difficult part, maybe. First point is, love God fervently. Second point is, love you know, your brothers as with like a family. Third is, love your enemies. Wow, this is so tough. Verse 14 talks about, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know, we bless those who persecute us instead of cursing them because... That represents how Jesus Christ is to us. This is a unique Christian virtue. If you love only those who love you, then how different are we from the world? But if you love those who hate you, those who stab you in the back, those who persecute you, and if you pray for them, and if you bless them, that is the gold standard of love, guys. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 talks about, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jesus said this, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What's your prayer for them? Lord, kunin mo na silang lahat. Parang ano, no? Lord, bless them. Pray for something good to happen to them. You know, there's a story of two boys who were playing Little League Baseball. And one of the boys looked at one of the cute little girls. And you know, this little boys hate girls. You know, that's the... Do you remember that time when you were like a young boy, you hate girls? You know, no, no girl zone, something like that. And one particular boy saw this cute little girl from the same team. And he said to the other boy, you know, when I stop hating girls, 
She is the one that I like to stop hating first. Who will you stop hating first? That's the question. Maybe there's a person who offended you. Maybe there's a person who stabbed you in the back, who did something wrong to you, maybe something wrong to your spouse or to your family. You can fill in the blanks. Will you stop hating that person? Pastor, you don't understand what he did to me. It was brutal. Yeah, we may not have any control of what that person did to us. But we definitely have so much control of how we would respond to other people as well. And by the grace of God, Lord, my prayer is that you would help us to love those who hate us. Verse 17 talks about, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live with peace with all. We do everything we can, you know, to to just strive to be able to keep peace with everyone. You know, in the house, today, for example, you know, we're all working from home and you know how difficult it is right now to work at home and your kids are homeschooling and your wife is in the kitchen and everybody's there working from home. And sometimes you can get irritated already with one another. Live peaceably with one another. My question for us today is, going outside of your home, have you ever been betrayed or being hated by someone? The Bible says, repay no evil. Do not take vengeance. You know, our human tendency is always to get even, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If he wronged you, maybe broke your finger, you want to break his neck. You know, something like that. You know, the way we actually would, you know, try to perceive vengeance is different. But yet the Bible is saying, seek no vengeance. It is God who will avenge. If they hurt us, just pray for them and bless them. And just ask the Lord, Lord, bahala ka na. Bahala ka na. Verse 19 talks about, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We refuse to seek revenge on those who will do evil to us because we trust God who will avenge for us. And I believe that God is a better avenger than us. I don't want to take that anymore with my own hands. My responsibility now as a Christian is to Forgive, to drop the matter, to ask the Holy Spirit to give me grace to walk it out. That when I see that person, Lord, help me to just pray for that person and then let God be the one to teach them a lesson. <laughs> Last, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, do good to your enemies. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, how can we do this? You may ask. And as I come to a close, the only way that I can actually do this is because someone gave an example before all of us. Jesus did it for us. Love one another as I have loved you. 
You know, we used to be His enemies. But you look at the cross. And as He was hanging there on that cross, He looked at the people. And instead of crying down from heaven, brimstone and judgment on the people, what He prayed was amazing. And He was asking His Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And He gave His life for us while we were still His enemies. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 talks about, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and he knows God. We can only love because we have been born again. And I believe also that in verse 21 it says, And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. You think this is easy? Not at all. This is so difficult. But yet I believe that by the grace of God, we will walk in it. If you're writing down a main point, my main point is simply this. What the world needs now is love. Genuine love. You must say, you sweet love. What the world needs now is love. Genuine love. Let's bow our heads and pray right now. Father, thank you so much for loving us first, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And I pray, God, that even today that you would allow us to follow the example of Christ. Even as Christ has displayed his love on the cross, he demonstrated that love by dying for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us that we may be saved. And I thank you, Lord God, that even today, as believers and as Christians, help us to walk in love. First, we May we love you fervently. May we love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. May we love you with everything we've got. May we love our brothers like family. And may we love our enemies as you've commanded us to do also. Thank you for your grace, God. In Jesus' name. If you are watching today and you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're attending for the first time or maybe you've been you know, coming for a while, you mean you've been browsing through the different Facebook accounts, but for the first time, you've stopped here. And you realize that you also need the love of God. I want to pray for you. Just follow along with me and receive His love for you. Just follow along with this simple prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner needing a Savior. Thank you for loving me and you gave your life so that I can live. I ask that you would forgive me from all my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that he is raised from the dead. Thank you, Father, for starting today. I now have a brand new life and I have a purpose for living. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. 
For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalamang.church.